Hi, this is Rob. I'd like to wish everybody a Happy New Year and I hope you had a great Christmas. This time of year, many people start to think about their lifestyle and perhaps consider making some changes to uh, make a healthy start to the year. With that in mind, I've got something slightly different for you today. This is the interview with Tom Hutchins, the owner and founder of Brew by Numbers. Brew by Numbers, of course, have been around for almost 10 years now. And so Tom has had plenty of time to think about the impact on his health that running a craft brewery and being in and around craft beer can have. So as a result, he's done quite a bit of research and been thinking a lot about steps that he can personally take to modify his lifestyle to hopefully allow him to prosper in the long term in this industry. So this conversation digs into a lot of different research that Tom has done, as well as some of the steps he's personally taken to try and mitigate the, the impact of craft beer consumption. However, none of this should be construed as medical advice. Neither Tom nor I are medical professionals, and so the conversation is just intended to be thought-provoking and give you some things to think about in your own lives and consumption with craft beer so that you too can have you know, a confident and long-term relationship with this amazing industry. However, please consult your doctor before making any significant changes to your lifestyle. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Tom. Welcome to This Week in Craft Beer, the podcast, the weekly show where we interview the people making the magic happen in the UK craft beer scene, sponsored by Them That Can, the premier mobile canning service in the UK. This Week in Craft Beer publishes the UK's leading craft beer newsletter every Monday morning by email. To subscribe for free, please visit www.thisweekincraft.beer. This Week in Craft Beer would like to thank our generous Patreon supporters, John Stevens, Angela Peterson, Nick Flynn, Jamie Ramsey, Sue Johnson, Steve Hartley, Jazz Hundell, Phantom Brewing Company, Dolphin Brewery, Becky Bentley-White, Bayonet Brewing Co., Ryan Charlton, The Paper Mill Micropub, Doug Thayer, Sarah Allmark, The Sociable Beer Company, and The Small Batch Brewing Co., so I'm delighted to welcome to the podcast Tom Hutchings from Brew by Numbers based in Greenwich. Brew by Numbers were launched in December 2012 and quickly applied a scientific approach to brewing, working with split batches in a quest for constant improvement. The numbering system attributed to these early tests gave rise to their name, Brew by Numbers. As they enter their 10th year, Brew by Numbers continue to lead the way for hazy East Coast pale ales in the UK and are seen as a pioneer on issues such as the importance of freshness, beer cold storage, and continue to be a major influence on taproom culture in London. It's an honour to have Tom on the podcast this evening. Tom, please introduce yourself, but don't tell us about your beer journey because we have something a bit different planned for this episode. Yeah, hi Rob, thanks for having me, and great to see you again. Yeah, no, absolutely, we met at uh, your splendid Riverside Festival in London, and uh, yeah, this is the, the result of that initial conversation. So yeah, really looking forward to having a chat to you this evening, and as I just sort of alluded to in the introduction there, this is not going to be my regular brewery interview, although I do want to get into some of your background um, a bit later in the conversation. But really, we're here this evening, I think, mainly to talk about beer and health as two areas of great importance to, to I'm sure, the majority of the audience and, and really should be of great importance to everybody, in my opinion. But I know, Tom, you've done quite a lot of research into the subject and you'd like to sort of take a bit of a lead in this part of the conversation to set the scene and, and let's, let's get into some of the details. Sure. Yeah, more than happy to. Um, so, yeah, I mean, obviously going into January, um, a lot of people are considering their health, uh, maybe trying to start new diets and things. May or may not last beyond the end of January. No, um, probably so, not. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd just like to say a few things that I've learned over the years, just to kind of go back in time a bit. 
2014, 2015, I was struggling physically and mentally a bit with the, the stresses of running a brewery. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I always, always felt tired. Uh, my memory wasn't great. Um, I wanted to hibernate if, uh, you know, when winter was coming along, I could <laughs> quite a lot. Yeah, I guess this probably sounds familiar to a lot of people. So I decided that I was going to try and beat this. And yep. um, this is where we are sort of six years later. And um, yeah, I like to think I have made big improvements to my to my personal health. I mean, it has helped the business and for me right. to deal with all the stresses and things that are associated with that. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I find it really interesting. I do want to preface this by saying I'm not a doctor. Um, I am a brewer. And... Um, <laughs> I'm a podcaster, so I'm not going to be exactly. giving any medical advice either, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, I found ways to sort of negate some of the negative effects of drinking through changing my diet, supplementation, drinking habits, things like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd like to share these results with you in order to really start, you know, discussion around drinking and health as we go into a new year. Yeah, Maybe please there's some strategies that um, people would like to adopt in that, or it'd be great to hear what you've done as well mm-hmm. who's who's, who's in, been in the drinks industry for a fair amount of time absolutely so i'm just going to summarize a few of the key points from an article we are releasing later this week and the first part we want to look at is percentage of disability adjusting life years due to risk factors in western europe yep and these are so tobacco is ten and a half percent high blood pressure ten percent high bmi nine percent low physical activity five percent Alcohol use, 4.5%, and high fasting blood glucose, 4.2%. So aside from tobacco, the next three highest ones of concern are relating to poor diets, being overweight, and doing low physical activity. So if we look at alcohol use in particular, the risk of percentage of death from drinking is actually a J-shaped curve. Yep. So therefore, someone who abstains from drinking, the risk is around 1%. And then this drops down with increased units and it rises again to equal the abstainers at 40 grams or five units per day, which is roughly two beers. What is interesting after this point, the risk increases exponentially with the uh, amount drunk. I think it's interesting to note that because I, I don't think a lot of the time, myself included, people don't really know what the risks are so much, no. how, how it changes. Um, and there's something that's really interesting with that, it's a Cambridge statistician, try and pronounce his name, David Spiegelhalter. Right. <laughs> I don't know if I got that right, but he uses a concept called microlives to determine risk. Yes, I've come across this before, yeah, which is you're just yeah. sort of cutting your, your life down into very, very short segments of time and, and, and trying to decide if or how many of those you're burning by smoking a cigarette, for example, or, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think this presents it in a very interesting way, but it's also something that's very easy to understand and yeah, reflects the J-shaped curve. So I'll just run through a few of these. So an average intake of seven units per week, obviously that's one unit a day, roughly. Um, So half a beer, it's not not a lot. I guess most people that are listening to this are probably a bit above that. Um, That that adds uh, one micro life to your day, um, which is 30 minutes. Yeah. And that may create a change in life expectancy on average, this is, of 1.2 years. Right. Um, but then if we go to 14 units a week, which is the government recommended amount mm-hmm. um, at the moment, that gets dropped down to um, minus 0.4 of a year life expectancy. Right. And then if we go up from there, we've got 21 units a week, 
which is probably kind of where I am. I might be a bit above there. I would have thought yeah. I might be around 25 on a normal week. So that's a minus 0.8 year life expectancy. Right. Um, which is not terrible, is it, really? I mean, you know, if it, I, I guess considering the pleasure i hope that we all derive from from whether it's a hobby or a or a you know something something more or less than that i guess to most people that listen to this podcast but you know if you're saying 21 units that's going to going to cost you less than a year of your life on average that you know i think considering we're probably you know we should be looking at you know life expectancy of 80 odd years these days that's not an awful outcome um i'd say it's pretty good yeah Um, yeah and i think this is it it's just understanding the risk and this time of year there's Quite a lot of pressure put on beer, especially um, that it is bad for you, that you should be drinking, you should be abstaining from drinking. Yeah. Um, it's, like, it's like one year, no beer, that sort of thing. That's mm. put a lot of pressure on that. And I don't think, I think there's definitely health problems created by it, but I'd say more so between other things. So if we, if we yeah. keep going up on this, so 35 units a week, so we jump from 0.8 of a year, 21 yeah. to um, two years for 35 units a week. Yeah. That's that's a reasonable amount, um, and mm. then seventy units, which is one bottle of wine per day. Yeah, uh, I guess almost two uh, four forty mils of imperial stout, mm. um, and that brings that brings it down to seven years, uh, negative seven years. Yeah, so that's you're getting into some significant bad outcomes at that stage. I think it's fair to say, Tom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it is building. What what I would say is interesting for comparison here is um, if you smoke twenty cigarettes a day your average life expectancy will reduce by eight years. Right. You could drink a bottle of wine a day and not smoke and still be slightly better off, yeah. according to this. Yeah. That's an interesting perspective, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, other things along with that. So being mm. 5 BPM over body mass of 22 uh, yep. units. Um, so that's minus 2.4 years. Right. Um, drinking two to three cups of coffee per day. That's an increase of 1.1 years. Nice. Sitting, yeah. down, sitting down for two hours a day, and that's an, a decrease of 0.7 years. Right. Um, eating fruit and vegetables, five servings. I like mm. lean more on vegetables for this. So that's an yeah. increase of 4.3 years. Nice. Yeah. yeah Please yeah. with that one. <laughs> yeah, so I think, I mean, it doesn't quite, you know, these things don't cancel each themselves out directly, each other out directly, but it is worth noting that there are ways that you can maybe improve your health by considering some of these other things. Yeah. First 20 minutes of exercise, that's a positive of 2.2 years. Mm. And subsequent um, 40 minutes of moderate exercise is only 0.7. So Yeah, that's surprising, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, you're seeing diminishing returns from that for sure. Yeah. yeah, and there's a couple of other ones on here that I'd like you to have a have a go at guessing if I can just find it. Okay. <laughs> um, okay, so food, bacon. Two Ooh. servings. How many microlives do you reckon that? Two servings per week or per per day? Is that? Um, well, so it doesn't matter, does it? Because if you're week, yeah. you, you you you're calculating it on the basis of microlives, so it doesn't matter how many. So two yeah. servings of bacon. Well, I know bacon is a is considered a carcinogen, isn't it? On the same level as asbestos these days. So uh, I'm sure this is not going to be very good. Um, so I could easily see two servings of bacon being minus one point five years. I'm going for. Not far off. It's um two minus two microlives, so yeah, not not huge difference, I guess. Um, but yeah, red meat as well is also minus one. Okay. Okay. Having a, a cat or dog per day, how many oh, microlives so, is that? So change? that's got to be a pretty significant plus, I should think. So I'm gonna go for gonna go for plus two microlives. 
having a cat or a dog. Yeah, it's plus one. So oh, yeah, okay, not, not so oh, because you think that would be also the the catalyst for getting your your exercise as well for for a dog. I mean, obviously they're not differentiating between one and the other, but yeah, yeah. I get lot, I get lots of pleasure from my cats anyway. Good, they're good for mental health anyway. I think definitely, yeah, good to have around. So yeah, the the last one. Um, so a, uh, a CT scan. <laughs> hmm. I don't know. Minus minus one. Minus 150 microlives. Oh my goodness! Yeah, due to the um, the exposure to the radiation exposure, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Wow. My being a male as opposed to being. Yeah. Well, I know that's bad, isn't it? That's definitely. (laughs) um, You know, it's got to be minus four. It is. You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Final one. Being born in 2010 versus 1910. Oh my goodness! Well, that's got to be plus 30. Plus 15. Oh, so, uh, yeah. more than that, I would have thought. Yeah. So there are all these things yeah. affecting our lives positively and negatively. Mm. You know, drink is obviously one that can affect it negatively. Yeah. Um, if you're drinking above the recommended amount. But there are other things that you can potentially offset that with. Yeah, I think that's really cool. And I think it's the more that people understand that, the better they can hopefully make good decisions across the whole scope of their lives to end up at a place where they're not feeling so guilty about the alcohol consumption. I guess that's the whole the whole focus of this conversation really, Tom, isn't it? And the other bit, I guess, that I just wanted to chat about, so one of the other main points is uh, liver disease. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a tough one. Liver Foundation is saying there's been a reported 400% increase in alcohol-related liver disease in the UK since 1970. Hmm. But what is interesting from 1975 overall alcohol consumption per capita has stayed roughly the same and beer consumption has decreased yeah other forms of alcohol consumption wine spirits including ready to drink beverages yeah increased Mm -hmm. and for the latter these often contain extra sugar and are pasteurized yes yeah that's interesting yeah it certainly doesn't seem like beer is contributing to that at least you know hopefully not i guess you know I, i could sort of flip that on its head and say i'm sure that the average amount of sort of sugars in a beer is, is a bit higher now than it probably was in, in the 1970s as well, isn't it? Or you'd know better than me on that score. But, you know, certainly my, my sense is that we're drinking a lot more sweeter beers when you consider the, the New England Pales and the, and the Imperial, yeah. you know, adjuncted stouts and what have you. But um, I guess the older beers would have been, I mean, some, uh, for a while, beer was part of your payment for your work. So they would have been pretty rich. I know that some were drunk whilst they were still fermenting. Right, yeah. <laughs> quite quite a lot of uh, sugar and things. And things. Yeah. yeah, nowadays, I mean, just since uh, we started, you know, 10, I mean, I measure sugar in, in gravity points. So sure. yep. it's kind of gone for us from 10, 12 for an IPA to about 10, 17, 10, 18. And we're right. not the highest. So that's an increase of over 30% in terms of carbohydrate content of an IPA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that's what the market's demanding i'm afraid isn't it it's <laughs> yeah it's the people want the juice but yeah, yeah obviously the there is a sliding scale for beer and um yeah it's definitely something i wanted to talk about because not all beers are equal in terms of um uh, their effect obviously but also and their calorific content i guess it's probably more prevalent in the u.s where beers are pasteurized but there's certainly um other beers in europe that are made especially like the pastry sours and things that are pasteurized with fruit added to them right and those things can cause problems. Um, Do you but, think it's actually the pasteurization process that's causing a concern or or just the fact that the ingredients required to be pasteurized before you can package them? 
Um, well, the great thing about fermented products is that the yeast, um, you get like sourdough and beer and whatnot, mm. yeast break down um, simple sugars, so they consume them for us and they leave more complex sugars. Right. But I, I guess with uh, things like wild mixed fermentation beers, um, you know, they, they finish with no sugar content at all. So right. yeast eat them and then some of the wild yeast will eat the rest, some bacteria will eat some as well. Sourdough bread, for instance, it will yep. break down some of the gluten and some of the other simple sugars that mm -hmm. make it more digestible. And then if you look at fermented foods, so sauerkraut, for instance, is, has the highest content of vitamin C out of anything. Right. And like fermented cabbage and things. So that's definitely something that um, to, consider take, to consider eating. No, definitely. Um, yeah, but the yeah. problem is, is when we step in and we, you know, we try and control things like that, I'm probably not aware so much of like the health implications of that. Right. So adding, I mean, we've gone to talk about fructose, but having a product which has alcohol and a lot of fructose in is really bad for the liver. And right. It's like a double whammy effect because both of those things can only be processed by the liver. Right. And they have yeah. a fairly similar me metabolic pathway. So the other point I'd like to make about liver disease um, is that it's set to overtake heart disease in the next few years. Unfortunately, people who live in deprived areas are six times more likely to die from liver disease over those who live in wealthy areas. Um, wow. And part of this theory is that that comes from um, eating inflammatory seed oils, omega-6 seed oils, generally having a poorer diet. So also, yeah, non-alcoholic liver disease is also set to overtake alcoholic liver disease. And again, uh, that could probably be explained um, through diet and uh, processed food, seed oils. And there's also links between obesity, alcoholic liver disease and non-alcoholic liver disease. Being overweight makes you prone to both. Um, I mean, I saw in your notes as well, Tom, that you, you, you say it's, it's quite hard and often quite late to be diagnosed as well, liver disease, which, which makes it very difficult to treat, I guess, the same as anything that's diagnosed late. Um, yeah, I mean, it's um, the liver's quite an amazing thing, really. I mean, obviously, we, we punished ours a fair bit. <laughs> and this it, this year. It, but yeah, they, it can run on 10% function uh, without you even really noticing. Obviously, things like fatigue and whatnot will, will set in, but there won't be anything clear that you notice that um, is, is problematic. And one thing I, isn't it? Yeah. I found that I had was that I started getting pains down the side of my shoulder. Oh. And, uh, like behind my shoulder blade and I always thought that it's like oh there must be something I'm doing wrong stretching yeah you just like yeah I think it was relating to my my liver saying no don't do that yeah. <laughs> wow uh, so yeah, yeah I mean uh, that this is where I've got to with it yeah I find this sort of stuff interesting I've spent from you know 2015 I've been interested in personal health and uh, in um, in longevity um, right something I've studied a fair bit um, biohacking things like that really mm -hmm. and so should we get into your lifestyle steps that you've, you've you've personally taken to to start to try and mitigate some of these things tom sure yeah so um the first one as you mentioned before with fructose yeah um, there's an interesting paper um saying it was alcohol without the buzz and so <laughs> um put down that juice uh that you've uh, been drinking because <laughs> um for instance people could you know, they could have January off alcohol, but they might drink pasteurised fruit. Yeah, that's the thing, isn't it? Yeah, you well imagine a lot of people think, oh, yeah, but, you know, because we need to get my fibre day in, so let's, you know, let's start grabbing down the uh, the fruit juices yeah. and whatever, and you're actually not, not really doing yourself any favours there, yeah. And if it is pasteurised, it's even worse because it will have 
so like most pasteurization is done with heat and that right. keeps vitamin C is very um, unstable. So it's likely that it will kill that off. So then basically you're just drinking fruit sugar. Pure fruit sugar, yeah. <laughs> it's probably not much different to that in the energy. No. Um, so yeah, from an evolutionary standpoint, this is another thing I'm interested in. I, I guess this goes with the um, yeah, studying sort of blue zones and uh, yes. uh, health and things. So fructose played an important role in uh, easy storing of fat tied us over the winter months. Mm -hmm. um, and it's only really been since the 1950s that fruit has been available year round in the UK. This is too fast for our bodies to adapt. And there's a lot of evidence that this continuous growth cycle is causing health problems. Yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. Just yeah. actually, just, it occurs to me we should define blue zones. My understanding of a blue zone is a particular area, you know, either a country or a region within a country where there's a real liar in terms of longevity of the population. And, you know, and it's so it can be informative to study the the combination of diet and lifestyle and other factors that, that are contributing to the majority of the population just living longer than than, than everybody else. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. There's some really interesting ones because they're all quite different. You know, you have some in, in America. There's one church group in America that don't drink. They don't even drink coffee or anything. Hmm. So you don't smoke and they, yeah, they live a really long time. But then on the other side, you have this group in Sardinia and um, they're like a group of, older farmers that spend a lot of their day drinking red wine and things <laughs> i think i know which one i like their plan better yeah <laughs> so yeah i i find that fascinating um and then yeah there's other things that i'll link to in this that I've, mm. I've, I've looked at we're just finishing off the fructose stuff yeah so yeah as i was saying it has a similar metabolic pathway um to alcohol in the liver right it does create inflammation as well and gets stored as fat so combining Diet high in alcohol and fructose is very bad for the liver. And mm -hmm. fructose, although it is a fruit sugar, it's found in table sugar as well. It's 50% right. table sugar. And then obviously you've got like high fructose corn syrup and things like that. And it's one of the main causes of non-alcoholic liver disease. Um, mm. And yeah, it's most prevalent in like pasteurized drinks, fruit juices, soda and energy drinks, and yep. things like that. So they do seem to slip it into lots of stuff without you really realizing. Um, yeah. I, I guess there has to be at some point there has to be some kind of balance in like what do you weigh up do you would you rather drink a beer or do you would you rather drink some pasteurized uh, fruit juice mm. so yeah i generally tend to avoid i don't don't really eat that much fruit i, I mainly eat like berry things like uh, blueberries right things like that that have yeah. relatively low fructose, fructose content. content yeah mm -hmm. so yeah going on from the the blue zone thing we're talking about so i just wanted to highlight this so quite by sir john Kellogg. Um, <laughs> breakfast is the most important meal of the day. Um, Says Mr. Kellogg, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah. Definitely worth pointing that out. Yeah, and I think, you know, a lot of the time there is merit to that. Those people that are growing in the, in the old, back in the old days, you know, people were doing more physical work than they are now. Yep. And I guess they, they probably needed some of that. But for um, people like ourselves who are, you know, gone through our growth phase, essentially, it's really not that necessary um, to have breakfast anymore. So right. it's been something that has made probably the biggest single improvement in my health done for uh, many, many years. Um, it's also easier than eat, getting up and eating breakfast. It's also cheaper. Yeah. No, I mean, what diet do you get with that? It's, it's great. Um, yeah. So, there is a bit of conditioning things to unlearn because obviously, you know, we have grown up eating breakfast, being told yep. we should have breakfast every day. It's the most important meal of the day. Um, so part of it is resisting that. But if you can do that, and I mean, you don't even really need to 
stop eating completely you can eat things that don't have carbohydrates in them right similar effect but yeah if you can avoid carbohydrates for the first part of the day is that's that's really great and, right uh, yeah i found personally i found that a lot of that really really helped me with my, on my health journey yeah. so yeah again so it goes back to the blue zones and um most of them have some form of calorie restricted diet for mature adults, mainly men, really, a bit less so for women. Um, right. Most will eat two meals a day. The, the Okinawans in Japan, they yeah. eat three meals, but they only eat to 80% full, which I don't know. No, <laughs> I don't know that's hard, possible. isn't it? Yeah. No, that, especially so, uh, if, you, if you've got something that you're really enjoying, it's hard to... Uh... It's hard to see how you can do that. But I suppose, again, it's just it's conditioning, isn't it? It's learning that that's enough. Um, yeah. Hmm. I, I, you know, I love to go out and eat great meals, um, you know, big meals in the evenings and things. And so part of me feels that, like, because I have foregone carbs, especially, or, like, food earlier in the day, I've been healthy up until a certain point in the day. The latter part of the day, I can live like Henry VIII. Yeah, you've earned, the, yeah, you've earned that meal, yeah. <laughs> I can have some beers and, you know... Um, I can eat like a big meal in the evening, which makes me feel tired. And then I can sleep well after that. So, mm. um, yeah. So part of it is carbohydrate offset, because as we know, beer contains carbohydrates. Mm. Um, alcohol is obviously quite, um, after fat, it has the most um, sort of uh, energy content. Right. So I found that the best way for me to sort of manage weight mm-hmm. by by cutting that out and yeah it's easy to start avoiding carbs first off the day with an yeah. eight hour feeding window sort of 12 for women and then um you can have a shake i have a shake in the mornings or um you could mm. just have some nuts or something and you can slowly move that forward so it's not you don't have to like feel really hungry for half a day what i've found is that's when i do all my best work that um, time in the morning right so I'm focused i'm not mm. like i'm not going to have a crash at sort of half 10 11 i can just keep going um, until, until i have uh, my lunch so, so this is basically you could describe as intermittent fasting with just a, an eight hour window yeah. when you're in, you know you're, you're allowed to eat basically so you can adjust that to suit your own preferences but within that eight hour window you, you you can eat whatever you feel like you need to eat but you've got to you know it gets to eight o'clock that's it you're done for the day calorie wise and you know you need to then effectively fast for 16 hours is, is the concept um yeah and it's relatively easy to do that overnight but i i guess i'll just talk you through what i normally do in the morning so yeah. i won't i won't have the shake until sort of 11 or 12 right and then i won't have any carbs in it either but i'll have right. like avocado and um yeah some protein things like that but um normally when i wake up um i start drinking uh, water with hydration salts apple cider vinegar and lemon juice um and this really helps like detox the liver um, it supports the supports the adrenal glands, helps replace salt. So, obviously, you've just woken up from being asleep, so you're dehydrated anyway. So yep. it helps with that. But it also helps sort of cleanse the liver and get it ready for the day. And then I'll I'll leave that for thirty minutes. Um, mm-hmm. Also, when you wake up, your cortisol is uh, your stress hormone is at its highest. Mm-hmm. So it's good not to have a little bit of a gap at least from waking up and drinking or eating. Well, right. drinking coffee. Uh, in this case so after about 30 minutes or so i have i have a coffee um and i have some butter in it mm. yeah there's something i've been doing recently and yeah yep. it's, I've, I've really enjoyed it so i um, miss yeah the bulletproof coffee thing yeah so i have some grass-fed butter some erythritol and then yeah i have been putting cbd powder in which is in the beer we're drinking yeah well. um, how much cbd powder would you put in a in a mug of coffee 
I'd just sprinkle a little bit in. It's not, um, I guess it's probably uh, a tenth of a teaspoon. Just like you said, sort of the handle end of the teaspoon and just sprinkle a little bit in or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. it's not a lot. I mean, the stuff I sent you is quite strong. Um, right. 26%. So, okay. Well, I've tried that. This I, I put a little bit in my coffee actually the last two days and uh, I wasn't sure how much, whether, whether it was the right amount or not, I suppose it's uh, but um, I, you know, so, so as um as a vegan myself, I've started to have, you know, my version of bulletproof coffee, which is with extra virgin coconut oil, which sort of gives you the same sort of creamy kind of fat, I guess, content. But uh, that seems to work quite well as an appetite suppressant for me. First thing, I have coconut milk in my coffee as well instead of dairy milk. And um, that seems to suit me quite well. I've not actually got to the stage it's been tricky this sort of last couple of months leading into christmas and and what have you but i am committed to try and get onto the sort of 8 16 or whatever you want to call it 16 8 intermittent fast um for for january so i'm going to you know going to try and give that a really solid run from the first of january and 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 see whether i can get some weight off yeah i Mm. i feel like the you know the the, my say veganized bulletproof coffee does give me a sort of a, a good start to the day without really hunkering for breakfast um you know at eight o'clock or nine o'clock in the morning like i used to yeah it's good and also if you you stick blending it right yeah mm-hmm. yeah so that helps um emulsify it and it, ha- it yeah. makes the coffee more bioavailable okay so you, you benefit from a lot more from the nutrients in the coffee mm-hmm. um, helps the uptake of that and yeah that's what i found but yeah it was something that was borrowed from nepal uh yes and they would carry uh, like food blenders and things on their back on these long tracks and whatnot. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, I mean, part of it for them it was to trying to move into a state where you burn fats instead of carbohydrates, which is right. Basis, and um, when you're in that state, you require less oxygen. Right. Um, so it gives you a bit more energy, especially at low places where there's low levels of oxygen. Oh yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's good for that, but um. Yeah, so from from there, um, so yeah, as you know, I might do this in the morning. I, I don't do it every day. I probably don't do it so much on the weekends. It's a bit more of a free-for-all then. Yeah. Um, but I try and do it like five days a week if I can, especially if I have work to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and the next section, so uh, what you drink and when you drink matters. Um, so as I was saying before, with the RTDs and cocktails, um, as we saw with that, uh, the graph where the amount of beer drunk has decreased the level of alcohol being drunk has stayed the same but we're seeing higher cases of liver disease i think this has partially got something to do with it rtds cocktails things that contain high fructose yeah things that have been pasteurized so putting extra strain on the liver yeah um, and yeah as we're saying about beer there's wide variety in the amount of carbohydrates per serving does this mean we should be leaning towards more mixed firm and dare I say it, West Coast IPAs perhaps for, for liver health or is that, you know, am I overthinking it? Definitely with mixed fermentation beers. Yeah. yeah I think there's definitely a case to be made for that. Um, I mean, obviously there's still alcohol in it. Mm-hmm. Um, which, you know, there's, does cause problems in the higher, yeah. higher amounts. Um, but yeah, you're not getting the same carbohydrate load as you are with the other beers. So yeah, I, I guess, um, I guess they probably are better than having uh you know the imperial stouts and things and yeah. i have met people you know part of this discussion is born out of me meeting people and chatting about this you know other people that work in the beer industry mm. other people have different ways of of um you know adapting doing things but one thing i will say is i'm not, i have met people that have been like really into their imperial stouts and uh yeah they have also 
ended up having health problems as a result of that. So, right. Yeah. Yeah. There is. There's definitely stuff linked to that. The big, heavy, heavy beers. Um, having yeah. said that, we're going to drink one in a minute. <laughs> I'm already yeah. drinking, Mum. We need to talk about this in a second, Tom. Let's just finish yeah. this section, then, uh, then sure. we'll talk about this superb dipper that I'm um, cracking through. But <laughs> so one thing I found really interesting. So I've I like doing experiments on myself, and one thing I did mm. get um, was a continuous uh, blood glucose monitor that right. friends recommended mm-hmm. I try. And part of this was just to sort of, sort of see, you know, where my blood glucose is and how it changes. And from this, you can. What's really interesting is you can use it to um, monitor your how you respond to certain foods. Ah, yeah. So the plan was that I'd eat, you know, maybe 100 grams of rice one day and then see the, the blood sugar spike from that. I might mm. do the same with bread the next day. Didn't really get around to doing that. But one thing I did notice that was really interesting was, um, uh, so if you if I drank before a meal, an evening mm. meal, the, uh, the beer helps um, stabilize my blood glucose level. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I guess this is something that the Italians have been doing for many years. So they'd have a, an aperitif. Yeah, of course. So it, st- it stops you spiking up when you when your body starts to dress the food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it helps um, balance that out. Also, I mean, there is a case for um, moving towards earlier drinking. Um, right. Which I've, I seem to be doing more now. I guess I'm a huge fan of early drinking. I have to say, I think it's partly an age <laughs> thing, Tom. To be honest with you, and the fact that I can't cope with. I can't cope with being out really late and then waking up the next morning feeling like death. You know, I'd much sooner do my drinking in the afternoon, get to bed at a reasonable time, you know, have my, have a decent night's sleep. And then the time you've woken up, you've sort of, you know, the, the peak of the hangover was when you were asleep. And, uh, and yeah, that, that, that seems to work for me these days, but I'm sure it's, <laughs> it's not really perhaps a health benefit. Mm. It's just a way of managing the, 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 the downside of it. Definitely. Well, I mean, just in relation to sleep. Um, so Obviously, there are nights we go out and you know want to have big nights with our friends, mm. and that's fine. You stay up late, we drink. But then on other nights, um, I think there's a bit of an issue with people getting into using alcohol as a way to help them sleep. Right, and um, I think that causes problems because your body, as I've seen it, I've seen like raises in heart rate and things because my body's processing the alcohol. Mm-hmm. And if this happens at night, it prevents it from carrying out other things so this sleep is not really just for rest it's um there's important metabolic processes happening yep um to clean out toxin refrag our memories and things and so regular drinking alcohol late at night can reduce um REM and deep sleep oh definitely um, yeah yeah as our body's spending time processing this and this can cause short-term memory loss and you know lead to depression and things like that so what i do now is um i like drinking sort of you know towards the end of the day I'll, I'll try something and um i'll normally try and stop yeah before sort of two to three hours before i go to sleep right um, so i have time to recover from the alcohol um and it just means your sleep quality is a lot better and you can easily monitor this through um using you know like a fitbit or something well so yeah so since we've been corresponding in the planning of this episode tom i've um, i've upgraded my um wearable which is i'm uh, just showing you this is not great uh, radio uh, content but uh, i've just upgraded to um a me fit version six 
um, which is made by Jaume. So as you'd expect, it's cheap and cheerful. Um, it's, it was 35 quid on Amazon, but it's really uh, quite a sophisticated device for the money, certainly compared to, you know, an Apple Watch or, or you know, an Aura ring or whatever else you might, you know, you might be choosing to invest in. So I'm actually really, really pleased with this. You know, the form factor is so lightweight that I, I basically don't take it off now. So I'm, I'm wearing it in bed, which gives me a, you know, a report on sleep quality. It constantly monitors your um, oxygen levels in your blood. Obviously, it, you know, it's, it's looking for for you know telling you how much REM sleep and deep sleep and light sleep you had so you, you know you get a sort of a, a bar graph in the morning that shows you how how long you slept but also how long you spent in each of the, st- the stages of sleep really interesting um, and there's no doubt that the more you drink the worse of a night's sleep you have regardless of how long you think you slept for very apparent that the you know particularly the REM sleep is decimated by by going to bed drunk I think um but uh, yeah, it's um, I'm I find that you know for thirty five quid this device gives me a a great sort of view of how active or inactive I've been on the day. You know, it's it's got really nice ability to monitor different activities. You know, whether it's walking or I, I use my cross trainer at home as as my sort of go to um, workout uh, routine mm-hmm. uh, most days. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's a really nice piece of kit. And for people that are thinking, oh, you know, I'm not prepared to spend a few hundred quid on a, on a Fitbit or a uh, or an Apple Watch, it's it's a great way of, of sort of getting the foot on the ladder. I'm not sure how accurate, you know, some of the the monitorings, but you know, look, it's not. I'm not not using it as a, a medical device by any stretch of the imagination. It's just a, a way of quantifying what's going on, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And I think it's important to be able to monitor change as well. So mm. I same. I have a fairly cheap pair of um, set of scales um, mm-hmm. in my like uh, weight and things, um, and that's. So that's definitely to be taken with a pinch of salt. But what is interesting, if I do make a change to my diet or something, you know, maybe that comes through. Um, same with the your, your uh, wearable. Um, yeah. so one, you know, the, the main things that we'd look at with that is like, okay, how's my resting heart rate changed? Yeah. My heart rate variability, that's a really good one yeah. uh, to monitor, especially like sleep, sleep quality and things. Um, so yeah, there's um, there's loads of stuff out there that, people can get hold of very easily and um, doesn't doesn't have to be expensive but um, you know we are all individual and how, uh, how expensive um, if you don't mind me asking was your glucose monitor Tom um, I think that was about 50 pounds okay it? well that's not bad yeah I had yeah. it on for two weeks before it fell off but it is quite it's quite a weird thing to put on right because you have to like it's this bit of discs this plastic disc that you sort of stamp onto the back of your arm but right it's on it it's okay you just have to be a bit careful taking um clothes on and off but yeah, yeah. i mean i love all that stuff so mm. for me it was it was exciting it was interesting to um to play around with it um but you don't you don't need to do that i think as, as you're saying the wearable you can get mm. a lot of information from that yeah um so yeah, that's a great one and then yeah I'd, I'd say you know the other things i've done blood tests are probably the best thing and again that can be now those can be done remotely, although you yeah. could probably go and see NHS and get one at some point. But you can also just get one sent to your home, which you do, and then you send back. It can sure. be a bit tricky. Some of the best ones are the ones that you apply to your arm and they stick on and you just hit this thing and it fills up and then you seal it and send it back. But there are other ones where you have to try and take a sample, but it can be quite difficult to do. Yeah. Um, but again, it just shows you, it's very hard to say, you know, you might feel some, you might feel fatigued for some reason, but you don't really know why. And uh, a lot of what I was doing was poking around in the dark, going like, oh, maybe if I take this, this will fix it. And yeah. then maybe that didn't do anything. So you could, 
Yeah, to make to make it easier on what the areas where you need to look at getting a blood test is good. I found DNA testing quite interesting as well. Yeah, that's definitely on my to do list. I was listening to a mm. podcast talking about that this week actually, and I you know I'm going to take the plunge. Is it is, is 23 and Me the the reference there, or are there better ones out there now? Um, I've not used that one, but that one is interesting, partially because they have found you know, people have found siblings from it. <laughs> and I think they found in America there was some guy who had 20, 23 kids oh, or something like that. They, they'd take, he had like some um, super sperm and uh, oh, yeah, my they, goodness. they used it a lot for um, um, against his knowledge, I think. He, oh, I see, for the, uh, the, the clinic or whatever, yeah. Yeah, all these people found out they had relatives. But I know other people have also found second cousins and things through yeah. that. But yeah, fascinating. Um, I used a, a different one called um, DNA Fit. Mm-hmm. And that was a bit more sort of sports focused. It was interesting. Um, it did reflect some of the things that I'd found myself just through trial and error right. and around in the dark. So, um, yeah, that was good. Um, that was good to do. Nice. Well, from my perspective, I've um, I've just actually just last month had a Booper half day medical, um, and it's the third time I've done that in nine years now. So I had one in 2012, 2019, and now 2021. And it's it's interesting to sort of look at the at the blood work particularly over over that period because you know nine years ago i was a carnivore eating a terrible diet you know, significantly more overweight then than i am now and still drinking heavily although not craft beer in those days and you know and, and i had it was a pretty poor set of results quite honestly and um, 28 2019 i was vegetarian just converting to vegan um, was drinking craft beer still a bit overweight but not quite as much as previously and my results were dramatically better this year I've been a vegan now for for two years and the results are really good actually you know I've got better over the nine years and I was really relieved to, to see the the results this year you know in terms of risk of diabetes and, and, and heart disease and you know and it was all just in very low cholesterol levels um I, I mean I don't eat any saturated fat at all which obviously helps greatly in that area but yeah, no, it, it's it's nice to have it done. It, it's definitely nice to have, you know, just just have a snapshot of where you are, and and as much as anything, just to be able to compare it in a couple of years' time to see whether you're, you know, on a path to to ruin or or actually, you know, doing okay. I guess, isn't it? Definitely, yeah. And it's hard to figure these things out. As I was saying before, it's hard to figure these things out yourself because um, you know, a lot of things seem to present themselves with similar symptoms, and it's hard to know where mm-hmm. that's coming from. Just drinking specifically. There are a couple of different liver enzymes that you can test for, and they normally are, um, show of like li- liver damage. Um, right. So those are yep. the important ones to get for drinking, and you can get those. They're normally included. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, that, those are probably the, um, some of the most important. Yeah, and from that point, um, I would say you can then look at your diet and you know supplements and things. To in my case, you know, I was deficient in vitamin D, which a lot of people right. are. Mm-hmm. I can easily supplement with that and bring it up to a decent sure. level. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I mean, that resulted in, in 2015, I've been, I've had the flu once. <laughs> I think that's down to my daughter. I used to get ill every winter. I yeah. Well, I think it's partially down to a vitamin D deficiency. I also didn't really want to go outside very much. You know, it's just like hibernating. Right. Um, <laughs> so, you know, there, there might well be something in there that you find just like, okay, maybe I need to increase that. Um, for the diet and supplement section of this, I just wanted to look at a few things that uh, commonality. If you do drink, if you have quite a lot of carbohydrates, there are definitely things that um, you can take for that. So right. one of the most important ones for lots of things is nutritional yeast. Um, right. Yeah. 
yeah, that's one of uh, definitely a go-to thing that I have pretty much daily. So also, one of the... delicious addition to, uh, to to almost anything, especially if you're eating a vegan diet. It's, you know, yeah. it's, it's, it's the cheese substitute, it's the umami substitute, isn't mm. it? It's, it's just great, yeah. Definitely, yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's packed full of B vitamins. So alcohol does block the uptake of B vitamins. Mm. And um, normally if, if an alcoholic goes into hospital, they will give them like a really high dose of B vitamin B1 because they oh. find they're normally very depleted in that vitamin. Right. But I, I guess from for myself, um, I've, I've found it very beneficial to have the nutritional yeast, not only as like a hangover cure, mm-hmm. but also just on a daily thing in the mornings um, just to get the, the vitamin Bs because it's the whole spectrum with uh, B12 added, but also it has um, selenium and other trace minerals that you normally right. from drinking. So yeah, that that's a really really good one to look at if, if you aren't doing so already. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, other things to protect the liver. Um, so, diet-wise, there's you know, things like broccoli, sprouts, spinach, garlic. They all contain this, this compound called sulforaphane. Right. It's really good for protecting the liver. Yep. Polyphenols and things in coffee and green tea um, that we've spoken about. Lemon juice, um, vitamin C, not pasteurized, oily mm-hmm. fish, um, omega-3 supplement. Yep. So um, that's really good for the liver. And I think part of the reason we're seeing more prevalence of liver disease in um, poorer communities is because they are likely to eat more processed food that contains omega-6 fats in. Right. That are also damaging to the liver. Mm. Yeah, and then nuts from that. And then, yeah, lowering carbs, avoiding mm. sugar. Yeah, and then the main other one from supplement-wise, so magnesium, this gets depleted very easily. Mm-hmm. And um, that's really good for helping you sleep as well if you take that mm-hmm. in the evening, um, yeah. along with the uh, chamomile extract I have. Um, and uh, yeah, the uh, CBD powder. Yep. But then, yeah, I guess on the other ones, so um, apple cider vinegar, betaine hydrochloride, they do the same thing. And you find um, when you're drinking a lot, you can get heartburn and things. And um, normally you'd take a, uh, like a rene or something, which yep. is basically flavoured chalk. But um, the way <laughs> it works, I doesn't the way it? That it works is you have, <laughs> it does work for a bit, but then it comes back. And that's yeah, the problem. Yeah. Well, it depends how many sours um, you drank the night before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been to places where you like sour festivals and things where mm. they have those like in pots, almost like the peanuts you get in the bar, like a little pot of rene. That's what a cool customer um, The problem with it yeah. is, is um, exactly, yeah, yeah, preemptive. Um, but the problem with it is, is you have a um, like a valve on the top of your stomach, and right. um, that opens if you, your uh, stomach acid is too high, and uh, the rene inkle, then it will come back. Um, so the, the best way I found to address that is by taking apple cider vinegar or betaine hydrochloride, which supports sort of bile production and things. And going back to the intermittent fasting, mm. having that resting phase, because we've evolved from chimpanzees. We're hunter-gatherers, essentially. We go yeah, we, 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 we should have scarcity. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. And so, but your body also is, it's an amazing thing that it will um, start to repair and things. So if you... If you can just increase the gap between your meals and between eating, your body has time to go through um, repairing process. It reduces like uh, yeast overgrowth and um, it helps produce bile and fix uh, leaky gut and things like that. So when you're doing the 16 hour fast, um, one of the things you're looking for is uh, autophagy, which is a uh, cell recycling, right. um, which you don't yeah. get if you're eating all the time. 
so that's definitely something that that helps preserve I feel like we kind of moved away from where we where we should have been we've got quite clever and like you know we always want to eat and things and mm. we have moved quite far away from uh, what is actually beneficial to us as, as humans and where we've, where we've evolved from and part of this is sort of looking back at that um, and you see it in the yeah the blue zones people are adopting or, or have been doing these same things for you know hundreds of years that yeah. um, cutting down on food and whatnot not eating you know maybe eating meat five times a month that kind of thing so yeah interesting yeah so i mean that's kind of pretty much where i got to with it um but yeah be interested to hear what what you're uh, thinking rob yeah other people as well um, yeah the show I, I think it's uh hopefully a start of a chat about it um i think it needs to be doesn't it it's you know any anybody that's just ignoring the subject and saying oh well we know it's all fine it isn't all fine you need to be smart don't you about the different things you've you, you've listed there tom you know you need to be aware of the of the potential you know for for overconsumption and, and the damage that that could cause but also at the same time it isn't perhaps as terrifying as as the media might like us to believe so it's, it's just good to be informed isn't it and then making good decisions and certainly going back to to the earlier part of the conversation if, if you know if you can adopt two or three of the things you know in the list that that provide you know life extension then you know that that can go a long way to significantly offsetting the you know any damage you might be causing by a little bit of alcohol consumption but that's it and i think yeah there might just be very small changes that people need to make to um make themselves healthier have a good health span i think that's what we're talking about is that that's exactly it isn't it and i think that be healthy and like, yeah. as someone who you know produces alcohol understand that there are challenges to it but i i want people to be able to enjoy beer um, mm. throughout their lives i don't want them to get to a point thing that like, oh, oh i don't i'm not feeling great at the moment i need to like stop drinking alcohol yeah <laughs> you know? and uh, unfortunately a lot of people do end up at that exact point don't they and that's that's an unfortunate situation if uh, you know because we you know i'm sure that, that at least almost everybody listening to this podcast i'd hope has a Know, a very fond you know and, and positive relationship with alcohol and tap rooms and craft brew craft brew in general and you know I, I don't ever want to have to stop doing that you know it's just uh it's some of the most fun i have is sitting in a tap room with my mates drinking amazing craft beers by the third i'm past pints these days it's all about you know i want, I want a third of that and 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 i might come back and have another third or I might even come back and have two thirds if i found something i really like but it's all about the exploration isn't it and you know and that's uh I want to be doing that for another 30, 40 years, hopefully. Um, yeah. yeah. But I, I've only got another two or three mouthfuls of this wonderful uh, double IPA that we're drinking here, Tom. So we need to discuss it before, uh, before it's all gone. Let me just read you the tasting notes. This is your uh, number 55 double IPA CBD infused, 8%. And the tasting notes say, working with Green Machine, the UK's original CBD dispensary, we infused our dipper with 20 milligrams per can of high-potency liposomal cbd and mosaic and idaho seven hops the result is a beer bursting with all the flavor of a modern dipper and the ability to transport you to your ultimate place of zen absolutely superb um yeah i'd like to get a bit more background on this from you tom you know how many cbd beers have, have you made uh this is the first one. Oh, well, is it we, okay we around with it we had some at the festival mm -hmm. uh, but yeah i've i've tried a few in the past and i've not really been that into them i think a lot of people have used oils, which uh, obviously right. you get that sort of woody flavour. It's not particularly nice. Um, this is different, and this is what was exciting about it for me. So Paul, who who runs Green Machine, is, mm. I guess, the kind of 
cannabis <laughs> CBD version of, of yep. us. So yeah, um, I met Paul, I uh, went into one of his dispensaries and sort of told him that we made beer and um, I was interested in doing something with CBD. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely think it has um, some positive benefits. Mm -hmm. And yeah, this is uh, V1 essentially. Right. So there's going to be a lot more of these coming through and we're going to play around with the dose and the base beer. Right. Uh, there is some, so it's, it's a lipsomal CBD, which means that it's full spectrum CBD wrapped in tapioca starch. Okay. And that means that it can pass through the, the stomach to the liver where it's broken down and then released. Right. It's like really powerful antioxidant being um, broken down, goes straight into your liver and into your bloodstream. Mm. But the importance of that is when you drink an oil or something like that, it, um, a lot of it gets broken down by the stomach acid. So right. this, this is a much more potent version of that. Yeah. But yeah, I think there's definitely some really good crossover stuff there. Mm -hmm. um, it'd be interesting to try different versions of this, like a low ABV version, things like that. Yeah, that would be interesting. I mean, you know, this is a, a superb dipper, regardless of, of whether there was any CBD in it, in my opinion. It's it's, it's just really delicious, you know, lovely, um, juicy fruit flavors just some moderate bitterness in there just you know really really drinkable beer i'm absolutely thrilled with it to be honest with you and um yeah the cbd i don't know uh it's hard to to assess really how much effect that's having i don't know yeah. you probably need to drink two or three of them don't you but then two or three of them is, is a lot of alcohol so it's i'd love to love to see a four percent or a five percent pale with the same dosage in it to, to be able to better assess the, the potency or otherwise of, of the cbd itself but um yeah i, I applaud the the fact that you're doing it, it's uh, I think it's definitely in the works. And the yeah. one we did at the beer festival, I, I got the calculations a bit wrong, so <laughs> it was uh, quite high. I think it was sort of a lot, a lot stronger than this. And okay, yeah, people were describing it as similar to sort of microdosing or that, like some light floaty <laughs> thing. Get. But a lot of the brewers drank it, I think, um, at the festival. Yeah, it's been drunk by brewers. Um, so doesn't surprise uh, me, <laughs> a little bit of work to do on it, but yeah, the. The dipper is a good base because it has mm. like big punchy flavors. Yep. Um, the the flavor of the tapioca isn't. It's it's okay. It's fairly. It doesn't come through too much. There's a little no. bit of bitterness, but um, on lower ABV beers, it probably takes a little bit more work. Yeah, that might be more of a sit that more of a challenge. Yeah. Um, the, the beer itself. So, yeah, it's um interesting. We're on the start of a moving in a slightly different direction, but. Hey, this is what craft beer is all about. Of course, it is absolutely, yeah. You know, and particularly for brew by numbers, from what we were saying earlier on. You know, you guys yeah. are born of experimentation, so it's it's natural that this would be the the next <clears throat> frontier for you, really. Exactly, and it's funny when you think about that because, uh, you know, what makes us different. And you know, if you asked me that in two thousand and fourteen, I'd say, yeah, we're, we're the main brewery in the UK doing saisons. Maybe at the time, Burning <laughs> Sky was doing a few, but that was about it. No, it's like we don't really do many. Well, we might do one saison a year. Yeah. Um, but I, I think it's important that, yeah, we keep on moving, keep challenging ourselves, we keep making new things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and yeah, that's that for me, that's the adventure. That's the fun of the craft beer movement is that there's so much variety and we want to keep it going. I think in a way, the popularity of um, Hot Forward's juicy IPAs has um, kind of homogenized things a little bit. But I it think has, yeah. Yeah. see brewers move out from that again um, yeah. this next year so yeah looking forward to it no, absolutely let's take a short break tom this week in craft beer is sponsored by them that can the premier mobile canning service in the uk 
them that can deliver the machinery, labour, materials and most importantly the expertise to achieve a professionally canned product that keeps their clients happy. For more information about how you can get started with their amazing services, please visit www.themthatcan.com. So I'm back with Tom from Brew by Numbers for the second half of the show. Tom, we usually do this at the start of the interview, but let's get into your background a bit. What was your beer journey that led you to starting Brew by Numbers? And tell us a bit about the early days of, of the business as well. Sure. Well, um, in 2010, um, I was working freelance in London mm-hmm. and um, I had some time to invest in uh, something new. And at, um, at the time, my friend was looking into to beer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, another friend of mine, Toby, uh, works at the Colonel. Right. Mm-hmm. Quite a small, small but upcoming brewery at the time, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, come a long way. <laughs> yeah. So I, I used to, this is normally my advice to anyone who wants to, to start up is, going to help out somewhere mm-hmm. and um, ask them loads of questions. Doesn't matter if you're really annoying. Um, yeah, keep asking questions. They tell you to shut up. Yeah. So 2010, I was really getting into beer and been exposed to it a bit whilst I've been traveling with um, my business partner in um, you know, Australia, New Zealand. Right. But the kernel at the time, it was something quite different from anything yep. I'd tried before. It was like another level up on sure. what I'd had. So, I mean, at the time they're making, the beers they're making were kind of quite, they're really full on, quite a lot of yeast. They were like right. really, really bitter. Right. Um, I thought maybe if we could just make something a bit different that was less bitter and a bit softer, then okay. people would like that. And we actually started playing around with using English yeast and uh, US hops. Um, but yeah, didn't really work out at the time because that's really not what people were into at that right. point. But yeah, the, the idea was to to set something up and we didn't really think much beyond um, sort of two years um, into it. Our desire was just to set up a brewery. So we worked hard on that. And right. um, yeah, as I was saying, I was working freelance. I had a bit of, bit of time to invest in learning something new. I mean, it's obviously not earning very much money back then. No. Um, very little money, but you know, I was getting by and I didn't have any dependents at the time. So right. mm-hmm. I was able to, you know, forego luxuries, I yep. guess. <laughs> and so we started brewing in a basement where um, a friend of mine um, bought to renovate. Um, it's now become this uh, amazing sort of tower block. And mm-hmm. Tom Daly, the swimmer, has the penthouse suite on the top oh, nice. in Southwark, um, mm-hmm. Southwark Bridge Road. And so, yeah, we used to make hand-packaged beer into bottles and then yep. we'd take them to Borough Market to sell nice. um, places like the Rake and um, yeah. Cage, I think it was called. Mm. Yeah, we do things... This is all on a very small scale, but we'd brew sort of 50 litres of wort and then we'd split the batch maybe two, three ways. We'd play yep. around with different yeasts, different hop combinations. And the winner of that, we'd rebrew again and then maybe we'd, we'd continue doing that process till we ended up with something that was fairly unique to ourselves. So right. when we did launch, we had quite an interesting selection of beers. We did a saison, yeah, yeah. which at the time was kind of quite unusual. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we didn't really do any... We didn't brew any lagers for at least the sort of first three or four years, I think. We didn't right. even brew pale ale either. So it was was quite different at the time. Um, but so, then, it's, it's, so what were you, you were brewing then? Saisons and, and what, some stouts or? Yeah, what we could brew well with the limited equipment and knowledge we had was <laughs> mainly Saisons because um, they're fairly robust. Um, right. And also, yeah, stouts, porters because the water profile matched yep. that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess they became the things that we were known for. But 
really at the time there wasn't it's not like now there's you know everywhere you looked there's probably a brewery you can recite that is famous for doing one thing or another at the time right. there wasn't really much of that at all no. um there's a few people doing this and that but it wasn't um it wasn't like it is now that's for mm. sure so yeah i guess uh in that sense we also probably got away with a lot of stuff um because people didn't know any better we didn't know any better <laughs> um, <laughs> which you probably couldn't get away with now if you're starting a brewery no possibly um, not right. yeah um, it's all part of us us learning, really. And uh, I mean, we didn't start with a lot of money. Um, no. And it's still challenging to grow. But uh, yeah, we've done we've done the best we can. <laughs> so uh, oh, no, well, you've done yeah. you've, you've done more than uh, more than a lot of people will ever achieve. I think, Tom. You um, it's probably worth mentioning. You um, at one point you had a, a small investment from the, the much maligned uh, James Watt that uh, I think was was probably quite important to the journey, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, personally, I thought that um, I met James at an event and I said I was setting up a brewery and, you know, looking for investment. He was interested and, you know, willing to help, really. So, yeah, I sent him some samples, not really expecting very much, but he, mm-hmm. he really liked the beers. And, um, yeah, they at the time, they were looking to support other breweries and help them because uh, I think it was just it came from a good place. You know, they yep. wanted to help other people they wanted beers they could put in their tap rooms mm. and um yeah they thought it was just like you know lifting it would help everyone and sure which it did you know for us um i think certainly for my family it helped having someone who had done well in the industry um saying they were going to put some money in i bet it did yeah uh, yeah at the time it kind of gave them more confidence to this wasn't know, just a just a wild uh, hobby it actually did have some substance to it yeah yeah exactly yeah <laughs> I mean, if you yeah, if you were to go to your parents and say, "Hey, can I have some money for a brewery?" Most mm. I'll probably say no. But, <laughs> um, but having that definitely helps. Um, they could see they were passionate about it, and nice. um, yeah, that, I think for me that that really helped. Um, my parents um, give us a little bit of money to get going. Uh, yeah, yeah, I came from a good place, um, and then Camden got uh, bought out, and yeah. uh, that definitely changed things um, in the market and. Um, yeah, I think I remember they had uh, what was it called at the time? There was some like kind of Brewers Alliance thing, and they had Camden Brewdog. Uh, I think they had Beaver Town hmm. like that on the board of this like independent brewers. <laughs> yeah. How did them, that work out? Well, <laughs> not great, unfortunately. <laughs> and um, yeah, since Camden sold, they were like, you know, we don't want to be bought out, but on that, we probably shouldn't show that we hold shares in other breweries as well. So. Right. We got the, um, you know, we paid them the money that they put in originally and got the shares back. So right. it's kind of, it was nice. It was a nice deal. And we still work with them a lot. We still send them beer and things. Nice. Um, yeah. Dip, he just tried that was in, I think we sent quite a lot, lot of it to them. Um, okay. So, you know, it's quite a punt really for someone mm. to take on on that sort of beer, especially as like, other market examples haven't been been great. So no. yeah, still work with them when we can. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I'm much more positive about Brewdog than than most. I think, um, you know, it, they've made a lot of mistakes, and and you know, I'm sure they've got done a lot of things that they'd like to take back if they could. But they've been a massive part of developing the UK craft beer scene, haven't they? The Bar Network serves great guest beers, regardless of what you think about the Brewdog beers themselves. It's, it's a good place to go and find interesting beers to drink. So, I wish they, you know, were <laughs> kinder to their staff. The, the guerrilla marketing. Um, you know, I think is 
sometimes genius and sometimes oversteps the mark but you know it, most of the time I think it probably serves them quite well I love the sort of the green pivot that they've made in the last 18 months particularly so yeah I don't you know I don't I don't see them as the big evil empire that most uh, most do that's for sure yeah I think they, they are making a lot of noise and they're setting a quite a difficult path really yeah I think they'll always they'll always be there now um mm. And um, yeah, hopefully we'll we'll keep working with them. They'll keep working and supporting other breweries as well. Yeah, no, I think I think you should. Mm. Let's talk about Morden Wharf, Tom. <clears throat> How sure. did that come to pass, and where is it up to, and now where's it going to be in three to five years? Let's 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 give it give us the full picture. It's a good question. First, I'm going to open the Imperial. All oh, right, beg your pardon. Sorry. Yeah. Well, I'm, 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 you don't you don't have enough like from the shows I have listened to of yours. There's not enough can openings, so. I want to try and trig- trigger that Pablo. Good work. Response. Yeah, we probably should do. I, the reason I don't do live can openings is because I know that if I'm not 100% concentrating <laughs> on it, it's going to end up in my keyboard or, you know, all over yeah. the carpet or something. But uh, live oh, can openings are, are a good sound. So let's do it. Here we go. There we go. Nice. Uh, this is great stout, by the way. Um, let me, whilst you're pouring it, let me just give you the quick tasting notes so I don't forget to talk about it. This is... Your Bimba Barrel-Aged Imperial Stout, 11%. And the tasting notes say, for our latest collaboration with Bimba Distillery, we rested our classic Imperial Stout base in Bimba ex-bourbon single malt whiskey barrels. This aging allowed these incredible American oak vessels to impart their complexity and unique whiskey profile into the beer. This special release showcases an initial fruit-forward flavour, unveiling waves of rich vanilla and caramel as it warms. Lovely. Um, super smooth. I mean, it, it, I can't believe this is 11% really because it's drinking so gentle on the palate, you know, it, but lovely, lovely flavours. Um, I'm not much of a bourbon drinker. I say this, you know, every time somebody sends me a bourbon barrel age stout, I say, oh, you know, I always sort of open it with a bit of trepidation because, you know, if, it, if it's a harsh example where the, where the bourbon really sort of cuts, then that's not really my sort of beverage. But this is lovely and smooth. Um, I'm really getting the, the, the sort of the oaky vanilla flavors from from the wood and just super super smooth delicious imperial stout so yeah great beer cheers yeah i mean um i'm technically scottish i was born just south of edinburgh all right both, both my parents are english though so i don't really mm-hmm. know why i sit on that but i love whiskey mm-hmm. um and i love like isla smoky peaty whiskies right most english whiskies i've had i've not been that impressed by mm-hmm. but these guys bimba in um the you know, far reaches of northwest London. <laughs> I, I managed. I, I bumped into this guy Matt, who's uh, one of their main sort of sales guys at um, an event, and uh, yeah, got chatting with him about it. And I was just amazed by what they had created there. Um, right. It was quite different. The, the whiskies are very fruity, and they um, so Bimba means moonshine in um, Polish, and oh, one nice. of the main founders is guy Darius, who's uh, had pretty interesting life, but um, he's he's a great carpenter, okay. and um, he he's made these like massive oak vats that they oh. uh, they make. They do their primary fermentation in essentially. Mm-hmm. So, like, it gives this like really interesting fruity whiskey that mm-hmm. comes through. I love their whiskeys; they're great, and they've done some really interesting versions. They've just released or they're just releasing the first batch of this, which we um. So the way it works is we get a ex-bourbon whiskey barrel that they've put whiskey into yeah and then that's emptied and sent to us mm-hmm. um, fill it with stout we age it for sort of six months or so depending yeah. on the beer and everything else and then we've just emptied this one and we send the barrels back wet 
and then they put whiskey back into it oh. as a finishing thing. So the one we sent back originally, it's really interesting because it's kind of, it's quite clear, but you get some really interesting chocolatey notes from the, the beer that's been in there. Right. So yeah, it's quite, it's a fun thing to do. And I hope more breweries are kind of, I'm sure more bre- some breweries are doing this, but right. um, yeah, it's a nice sort of collaborative thing to do where it's, uh, we're trying to learn from each other on what we're doing. Oh, um, definitely. Also massively respect what each other are doing. And we've done early December, we did a, a pairing event um, with them, I think maybe late November where we did whiskey and beer and, and things. And yeah, it's really a lot of fun. Um, Let's talk about Maud Wharf then, Tom. Yeah, sure. So um, I've been looking for sites for years mm-hmm. around London and it is hard. There's a lot of industrial estate stuff um, that I've looked at that would have been good or would have been okay, but um, would have been functional, perhaps is the best way to describe it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I think from a lot of my personal experiences of drinking, part of it is the venue, especially when you go, to, as you've probably you know seen in America, mm. you go somewhere and um, you know you have these amazing places where you're going to drink. Um, that whole experience is is really important. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it took a long time to find. It took a lot of charming um, in developers. But I guess, yeah, there is definitely some some luck involved and mm. timing. Um, and we were kind of lucky with that. But um, on the other side of it, I mean, on part of it, I guess I could consider that we are part of the arts wash is what developers refer to us as. So when you're developing a new space, they'll get in like, creative industries to um you know help make it interesting sure absolutely you're, yeah. you're adding value to whatever they build next to you aren't you really for the fact that you're there so that's brilliant yeah, exactly and i'd like to think that in the early days of bermsey beer mile there was colonel partisan and ourselves mm-hmm. and i like to think i, I wouldn't i'm not going to take credit for all of it or any you know but i think that like we helped develop that area a bit. definitely in terms yeah. of a drinking experience and yeah, I'm hoping we can do something similar in, in Greenwich. Um, so it's let's paint the picture of, of what you've got there. So you're in a, is that like a Victorian brick-built warehouse, I guess you'd call it? You know, describe the, the, the shell of the building that you inherited, uh, Tom. It's mid-century. Okay. Um, that area was one of the first areas to get bombed during the Second World War, and there used to be a pub right on the, the corner of where it was, and that was one of the first things to get hit. Right. Um, so, that area was bombed because that was the, the manufacturing area. Right. Um, when that all got demolished, they built a sugar factory. So it's Tate okay. Lyle, it's yeah. a warehouse, warehousing. There's this amazing, as you've seen, there's this amazing gantry crane. Yeah. Um, number 10 written on the side. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty amazing, really, that someone's sat up in there moving um, these massive bags of sugar around. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I've, I've been up and had a play with it as well. So we used it. Oh, it still uh, still works, is it? Great. Yeah. It doesn't, well, it do, yeah, it does work, but uh, yeah. it's not, none of the electrics work. And you move it with um, this massive wrench. Okay. <laughs> That's right. In the motor with it. So you're up in the eaves, like winding away. <laughs> you can slide it along these kind of train tracks. Mm. And um, yeah, our, some of our neighbors, our neighbor, we've got some great neighbors. Um, mm. One of them is, MDM that make all these props, so they're incredibly resourceful and they've helped right. all the different things. But um, one of them was we had to get these 100 hectolitre tanks stood up in there. And mm-hmm. uh, anyone who's done brewing stuff, it's very expensive to get companies in to move this equipment mm-hmm. around. I think they're sort of quoted about a bit. Yeah. 
obviously being a farmer all right i'm i'm not gonna like i'm gonna try and do it myself <laughs> so we basically got these pulleys which we strapped to this gantry crane and we we pulled up the sides of it and we managed to lift the tanks into place with that so nice. mm-hmm. yeah that was a lot of fun um that was a great day to be fair so yeah i mean it's it's the, the building itself inside it like reminds me of brooklyn yeah um, sort of industrial uh, like brick and um distressed finish um and then you step outside and you've got this amazing space and the thames in front of you yeah and uh the two together is very unique and yeah i'm hoping i really want us to be able to try and deliver one of the best drinking experiences mm. in london and i think we have the venue to do that mm. i just need to just need another like one and a half million or so to uh, deliver the, uh, the space itself but um you know working on that but yeah as it as it is is um it's an amazing spot to be and it's there's something really calming about being near the water in london oh, so i i came to the the riverside festival that we'll get to in a minute let's just put a pin in that for a moment the best way to describe what it's like to be out the front of your modern wharf tap room is to say is to cross the river to Wapping. And I'm sure that a lot of people listening to this podcast will have drunk at one of those fantastic pubs on the on the waterfront there. The is the uh, the the Marcus of Granby, the Prospect of Whitby, and the Captain Kidd. I think those are the three, aren't they? And each of those three pubs have got wonderful outdoor space, you know, where you can literally sit almost like you can sort of dip your fingers into the Thames there. And you know, and and I've sat outside each of those pubs a number of times, and you and you sit there, and you just you can't. It's almost like if you're with other people, you don't say anything, but you just sit there staring at the river. It's so captivating. It's so sort of in your face, isn't it? You can't you can't look at anything else. You're just right on the river in in a way that it's hard to to, to picture if you haven't actually experienced that. And and you've got that on the other side of the river, so that's brilliant. It's going to be as you develop it out it's just going to be such a fantastic facility and I, I can't wait to see how that moves on i've seen the artist impressions from the crowd cube rays and the, the stuff on your website so it's going to be amazing if you you know if you even build it half as good as the as the artist impressions it's going to be wonderful but i take the point that it's going to take you know you've got to get there one step at a time and it's going to take a lot of money to to actually deliver that yeah fit out stuff for retail units are very expensive um, mm. so there is the yeah I think we can do something really special with it. I think mm-hmm. we've done, we've worked really hard as it is, myself and my team. Um, it's, you know, we've done it because of COVID and everything else. It's mm-hmm. not been like before. We haven't had the full budget to develop it. We've pretty much just like got through it. And it's been, the last year has been really like tough on mm-hmm. everyone. So oh, yeah. I'm thankful to my team, especially the festival, because we only really got access a month before. Yep. So that was. Uh, I mean, yeah, that was a real shoot. You know, you, you pulled that off in a space for a few weeks, didn't you? You know, it was from you know it was only announced. I don't know what six eight weeks before the event, and it was, it was great. You, you just had a great mix of brewers there, literally. <clears throat> and this is very rare. You know, I think every single brewery, at least you know the ones that I spoke to, were represented by the owner. You know, there was nobody sent their underlings, did they? They all wanted to come and be there at that event, which I think is a great credit to you know how much you, the relationship with brew by numbers means to them but also they wanted to come and see your new space and just hang out in it didn't they so uh, it was a lot of fun to see all those brewery owners in the building 
Yeah, we, we pulled in a lot of favours for that one. For sure. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I didn't expect anyone to go. To be honest, I didn't even, we didn't even really know that it was going to happen no. because of COVID and everything else. And um, yeah, I'm pleased to say there were sort of 1,600 people there over two days and no COVID cases. So that was really good. But yeah, I'm, I'm amazed how many people actually came along in the end. And yeah, really grateful that they did do that. Um, I think it was probably at a point where everyone was like, Oh, fuck this, you know. It's just it was out. exactly at that point. Yeah, it was definitely yeah. that point. And, you know, we've got to we'll, do something, otherwise the year's just going to, you know, go by. You know, from, so. from uh, I think, a couple of weeks prior to that through to October, we, I was at beer festivals almost every week. It seemed, I mean, it's a slight exaggeration, but, you know, I'm sure we did a, a dozen or 15 beer festivals between sort of June and, and October this year. And uh, yours was definitely a highlight, Tom. Mm. You know, it was lovely to see and uh, just a nice vibe to it. Just a nice crowd, really. It didn't, you know, I'm sure you'd perhaps sooner had a few more people there, but it didn't seem like it, it was just the perfect number of people. So it was busy, but not overwhelming and uh, great selection of beers. I can't wait to see what it turns into next year i know it's already in the calendar isn't it it's already in our we got it in our newsletter events diary already and we'll be there for sure can't wait that's great yeah i mean um were you there on friday or saturday friday friday, friday. Okay. Yeah. on saturday at about quarter to four this massive naval ship came past with all these oh cool i'd like to see that yeah and it was just there hadn't been any big ships come by for 18 no. months, so it was just perfect perfect Fantastic. time the sun was out <laughs> uh, it's very special a little bit emotional i bet yeah, yeah this next year we're hoping because it ties in with the queen the queen's um jubilee celebration yes it does yeah it's along with so the extra bank holiday aren't they thursday and friday yeah, yeah. i think we'll see some action on the thames um in some some uh some sorts so. you'd like to think there'd be some sort of regatta going on or whatever wouldn't you so yes yeah. yeah, so you can have a grandstand seat to it that's for sure Get all the ships out you know that mm. thing. that'd be cool um, brilliant yeah, it's it's perfect for those sorts of things, and um, we're looking forward. We're going to have a few this year. Yeah. Uh, looking forward to doing different things there. I mean, um, we all sell from the stuff. We all love like food, so we really want to do like food focus one. Mm-hmm. Want to do the main festival in September. We really want to do like an Oktoberfest style thing. Right. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of opportunity to do things there. Got to make so what's the what's the status of the building there, Tom? So it's that's your main brewery, is it now? Yeah, we've made production over there. So it's the, um, it's the only brew site now? or We're doing some bits in Bermondsey still. Right. More mixed firm and barrel aging. Okay, really. right. Um, there's still staff in, in Bermondsey sites. We're giving yeah. back one of them. Um, giving back our Peckham site. So right. Trying to make like life a little bit easier. Not having yeah, and no, multi-site <laughs> is, a, is an aggravation, isn't it, to manage and coordinate. Yeah. Um, um, we're invested in it. We've got the lease agreements very complicated. So you've got options on more bits yeah. of that building, haven't you? Yeah. yeah. So there's a 12,000 square foot space behind it. Um, mm-hmm. We have the brewery at the moment, which we've got an option on this this summer. And so the plan eventually is to move the brewery there and then the front space becomes that retail space. Ah, okay, fantastic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's going to take quite a lot of work. Um, it's a shorter move at least from um, Bermondsey. That's right, yeah. <laughs> Will you be able to use the same overhead crane to move the tanks, or is he going to? Uh, yeah, if we can, if we can, we will. Yeah, or <laughs> just an even bigger like JCB. Um, yeah, yeah, that side of things is fun, but it's uh, controllable. It's like lots of other stuff around, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, Brexit, uh, um, COVID, and all these other things oh, that complicated this year. Oh, no. but, um, yeah, moving tanks and things has been really fulfilling and. Uh, 
And so to, in terms of sort of geography, because we haven't actually mentioned this yet, so the nearest train station is uh, North Greenwich, um, which is probably 12 minutes walk, maybe. Yeah. 10, 10 to 15 minutes walk, depending on how fast you walk and whether you can find your route and, and don't, don't get lost. But uh, it's not that far, is it? But you are relatively surrounded by you know development land let's call it you know so, so there's there's going to be a lot of building going up around you i'm sure in the next you know next five to ten years as, as that sort of gets funded and they break ground and it what, what's planned there is it is it mostly residential or is it are there is there other hospitality and retail space plan um well there's going to be 1500 homes just south of uh, the uh, where the brewery is yep mm-hmm. so that's the main development okay on, on that that bit of land yeah um, but yeah, there's probably going to be more. Um, I, I guess it's just part of a natural thing. You see this a lot in London. So ideally, what they want to do is link the peninsula North Greenwich station to Cutty Sark in Greenwich. Right. And so at the moment, we're on the, the end of that. I, I imagine there'll be more happening um, further down eventually. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure when exactly, but they're going to develop the Thames path as well. So right. Uh, about sort of 50 metres or so away, there's a six metre wide um, pathway and cycle lane. And so Yeah, well, it runs it runs along the waterfront in front of your building, isn't it? Yeah. The plan is for them to extend that round to um, North Greenwich. Okay. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll be uh, sort of hopefully a good stopping place along on that. Absolutely. Well, what, what's the footfall been like into the tap room? I mean, obviously, perhaps not so clever now, but, but you know, before winter arrived, was, were you getting still getting decent footfall into the into the tap room yeah it's been good i mean it's um like money wise it's been kind of similar to bermondsey but bermondsey's been down about sort of 40 percent or so yeah but bermondsey's a bit more driven by tourism so if you don't have that which we didn't have this last it can be quite a bit lower but yeah the the people that come are different there's more um people with dogs and things and there's a lot of people moving around that area on walks and so a lot of them not curious people just sort of wondering and going oh this is here or someone's dog runs in around the puzzle (laughs) then runs out again well you know what's happened they come in and had six six beers yeah (laughs) a lot of people like happy that we're we're there doing i bet they are yeah but yeah, it is. I mean, the building itself's pretty crazy, and uh, yeah, our neighbours were the first ones to kind of go in there and develop it and make it that bit nicer. And um, right. yeah, there's quite a lot of work around. Same same with railway arches. We've done four of those now, and um, yeah, there's a lot of time spent, which other brewers have probably done, where they've taken space and it all has to be like cleaned because it's not, you know, it's been used as like an MOT garage or something. Oh yeah. I've like personally hand cleaned a lot of walls of uh, railway arches and things. In our Peckham site, we had um, a company that was like came in to clean the walls with all their. They had um, this massive lorry and things, all this stuff on it, and uh, they did a meter squared patch. And then the guy just drove off. He's like, "Oh, it's too difficult." <laughs> You're on your own, mate. Yeah. <laughs> later on that day, I had a call from his boss saying IA's had to go, and I was like, "Oh right, what has he done? Has he just left it open then?" One day, like left open with all the lights on, <laughs> one meter clean patch of um, this uh, arch liner, and then yeah, so we had to get the elbow grease out and um, clean it ourselves, which is uh, yeah, it's dedication. You'll be holding on to the Enid Street um, arch uh, long term, I'm sure. Um, you know that you're in such a great spot there that that's not going anywhere, uh, Tom. Keeping one of the sites, yeah, yeah, keeping 79, which is the original one. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we are, and there's more. I can't really talk about it. But there are more breweries joining that area. Oh, great. Yeah. Um, 
uh, yeah, I watch this space for next year. Fantastic. Yeah, interesting. I'm more, I welcome them. No, oh, that, that just has a, you know, anybody that hasn't been to, to the Bermondsey Beer Mile, you know, that's just, that's a great vibe of it. So, I mean, I'm sure it gets a bit out of control at times on a, on a Saturday afternoon with stag do's and what have you, but, you know, it, net, net, it's a, you know, I've, I've always had a great time down there. I love it. Where's the best place for people to go and get their hands on some Brew by Numbers beers? Well, we're going to be in quite a few different supermarkets from January. So oh, okay. uh, yeah, there's going to be a few more. There's a collab as well we're doing. It's going to be released. I'm not sure I can really mention it yet. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on. Obviously the website. And then, uh-huh. yeah, there's been, we continue to support other independent businesses where we can. Um, yep. Whilst they can be open and things like that, it's a difficult time for them still. So yeah, uh, yeah hopefully that will change again. So yeah, I'm hoping they'll be positive, especially the hospitality industry. Yeah, got the, God, um, it's a tough time at the moment. That's for sure. Yeah, it's very difficult, and mm-hmm. I've heard of you know places sort of having to close down because. Well, that's right. People are making unilateral decisions at the moment, which is which is terrifying mm-hmm. for them, isn't it? To to say, look, you know, let's, let's hang it up until the new year. No, this should be the busiest time of the year, not not a time when you're wondering whether you're going to be, you know, whether you're even going to cover your payroll by being open. It's just terrifying. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's like breweries, it's very tough, but it's just, uh, you know, I do sympathise with them. It must be really difficult. Absolutely. Let's get into the home straight then, Tom. Um, I have two traditional questions. You may have heard these before. The first one is what I call the shout out to the little guy. And here I'd like you to mention one or more local to Greenwich, I guess, these days, or I'd sort of for Bermondsey beer businesses that you're particularly impressed by um, in the service of promoting independent craft beer. And that can be another brewery, a tap room, a bottle shop, a pub. It's up to you to choose where to go with that. Sure. Well, I mean, just for me personally, one that's very local to me is uh, a place called Jars Bar in um, Deptford. Okay. And uh, they, they've produced, like they've been distilling their own gin and things. Oh, there. <laughs> yeah it's kind of cool but they they sort of pivoted at the beginning of covid and yep. um, they're selling loads of craft beer now but nice. all through covid they were they were smashing it they were taking a lot of beer off as i'm sure they were with other oh that's great breweries yeah. from london and beyond but um i was really impressed by that I, th- I think it's been has been difficult and some some places have like just seen it as an opportunity to change and to to um, keep pushing forward, and they've they've done really well. So I have Brilliant. to say thanks to them. But also, um, I think as one of our, we've got one guy. I'm not going to mention who it is, but someone in our, he's ordered over five and a half grams of beer through worth oh of our web shop. <laughs> he definitely needs to listen to this podcast. Then I think talking about the Yeah, he's ordered more beer like during that lockdown period than a lot of our the um, most pubs already. Yes, right. Yeah, <laughs> obvious reasons, but like, yeah, hats off to you. Thank you. Thank you for your support. Wow, fantastic! I like that. Okay, the, 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 the anonymous uh, super consumer. I'm happy to yeah. give, give him a shout out. All right, let's get into the wrap up question then, Tom. Here, I need to know what would be your ultimate happy hour? Where would you be anywhere in the world? Who would you be with? And what specific beer would you be drinking? Well, yeah, back to um, us chatting earlier about being an interesting venue. Um, Mm -hmm. I think some of my best experiences of drinking beer have um, been a reward for doing something, whether it's like a a ride um, in through the countryside of France. At the end of an athletic endeavour of some sort. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or, um, yeah. I guess one I probably would mention in this is um, 
you know, going snowboarding, something mm. like that, and then ending up at like a apro ski. Oh uh, yeah, I've got some great memories. You just just bring it back yeah, to me. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Drinking some amazing, you know, like um, Helles or mm. Austrian or German lager or something like that. It's for me a lot of it is around that. Like it yep. is a reward, and that's you know what we we're trying to make beer that someone who's you know had maybe had a difficult week or whatever can have something to look forward to at the end of it yeah yeah it's just that reward for achieving something I mean even like going back to my days as being a farmer is mm-hmm. uh, having some pint of cask bitter from Hobson's or somewhere or cider or something after working so I guess it would be around that and yeah uh, to be uh, friends and family if I was to choose the perfect one I guess I'd say on the side of a of a mountain somewhere yeah um, you know once we'd finished that we'd have to all like Ski or snowboard down in the, in the dark, <laughs> completely drunk. Um, well, usually the problem with these things is you're usually, in my experience, you're you know the, the, these places are often at the bottom of of a part of the mountain where you didn't start from. So yeah. you, you know you've gone to the top of the mountain, you've skied off down the back somewhere, and you end up at this amazing little bar or, or mountain restaurant or whatever, and you drink too much and you eat too much, and it's getting to sort of half past three, and then you look at your watch and figure that you've got like thirty minutes, which is just <laughs> long enough to ride the lifts right back to the top of the mountain, and then you've got to come back the entire distance down the right side, and that you know that's when it starts to get a bit hairy, I'm afraid. But uh, that's assuming that you don't lose track of time completely and miss the last lift, and then you really. <laughs> but good times, good times, and good memories. <laughs> exactly that's the adventure and um yeah i love all those things it's great climbing there's there's a place in um thailand that i remember that you could um you go up this like climb where you do 150 meters so you do it's multi-pitch so you you take it in turns and Mm -hmm. then you abseil back down but you abseil down into a bar you can pretty much (laughs) abseil down straight onto a seat at the bar and order a drink (laughs) fantastic so yeah, that was that was a lot of fun. But yeah, really? anything based around an activity. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a good excuse to drink, right? Of course it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your reward for something. Um, I think that's important that there is that toil, right? Definitely. Well, Tom, this has been a different conversation from from most on this podcast. I've really enjoyed it. I think there's been some really useful insight that hopefully people can. Uh, can adapt for their own purposes none of it of course is medical advice as we said at the top but hopefully there's some useful thought-provoking content there that people can uh, can get to grips with for 2022 and you know start developing a, a positive relation to their craft beer drinking and you know not feel guilty about it as uh, as we crack on into into the year um, really looking forward to seeing how you guys develop um, at more than wharf um, i'm definitely going to be there for the riverside festival next june but i'll certainly be there before that as well and you know anybody that hasn't had the pleasure yet i would strongly encourage them to come and check you out because it's just a stunning spot to sit and drink some of your great beers thanks rob thanks for having me on and uh, yeah great to chat to you and yeah appreciate the work you're doing with um craft breweries and it's been fun i've enjoyed listening to interviews that you've done with other people as well so appreciate well, that's, that's kind of you tom thanks very much and uh, yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure i will speak to you soon
commencing in the spring of 2022, This Week in Craft Beer will be running meticulously curated long weekend tours to the world's most exciting craft beer cities in partnership with some of the UK's leading craft breweries. Destinations will include New England, Brooklyn, Miami and Brussels. If you fancy joining a small tour party led by a leading UK craft brewer as we experience a packed long weekend of meet the brewer and tutor tastings at some of the leading craft breweries on the planet, please pay close attention to our newsletter and website. 